0: Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices podcast, where we chat digital transformation challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host Ed Marks. Ed Marks here, Digital Voices, and today we get to hear firsthand from who I think is one of the leading physician leaders in the country, and you'll understand why. Of course, I do have a bias, and I do want to mention it up front that. Our guest today is from uh, Summa Health in Mid-North Ohio, and I am a member of the board. So I definitely have a bias, uh, but as you'll hear and see in some of the statistics that we talk around about patient experience, that there's good reason for having our guest on the show today talking about patient experience, and especially from the physician point of view, and also a very innovative Person. And so, Megan, I know we talk about innovation a lot on digital voices. When you hear the word innovation, what's sort of your reaction? First thought that comes to mind is forward thinking. Yeah. Very, yeah. Very forward thinking. And you're going to hear that exact theme as we move along. So, I, I do want to welcome Dr. Vic Bala. He is the president of Suma Health Medical Group. Welcome, Vic. Thank you. I really appreciate you
1: all having me here today.
0: Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So what happened is, and how we first met is, again, I'm on the Summa Health Board, and we have these orientations and presentations done at board meetings. And you came in talking about the Summa Health Medical Group, of which you're president. And the data that you were showing it was astonishing, not just patient experience, all that that'll be our focus today, but what you've done with the medical group there in a very, very competitive environment in that part of Ohio is amazing. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I was taking all sorts of notes. I was like, I have to have Vic on, on our podcast because everyone want to hear about this. And so we are going to dive a lot deeper sort of into patient experience from a physician point of view, from a physician leader. So it's going to be super. So that's sort of how we first met. But Vic, We always ask two standard questions of all of our guests to get to know you a little bit. And the first one is,
1: what are the songs on your playlist? Thank you for that question. I'm going to tie this in with, you know, as a family medicine physician, right, sort of the jack of all trades, my music collection is really not different from that standpoint, meaning... I've got probably one of the most eclectic playlists going from, you know, country to rap to rock and anything and everything between. But what I would say is, you know, in terms of favorite artist, it has to be, has to be Bruce Springsteen. And I am one of the few lucky ones to be able to, uh, attend his concert in Cleveland in uh, April uh, of next year. Uh, I may have to be looking for a uh, second job to pay for those tickets, but uh, I'm still uh, looking uh, forward to that concert.
0: He's definitely the, you know, if you had to think of, you know, iconic musicians from the U S he would definitely be, you know, in the, in the top of that list, Uh, definitely representative of America and sort of that hardworking genre. And, And I imagine I've not been to a Bruce concert. I'd like to someday. I imagine they're long. I, I don't think he's going to be one of those artists. You know that I've, I've been there before and you probably have two at a concert and they, they're like hour and 15 minutes and they're done. And I, so I imagine he'll probably put in a, a pretty long show. So what well, well next, when I see you after that concert, I'll have to ask you about that. What about your life message or passion or mantra? Is there sort of a
1: words that you live by? Yeah, so, so actually I was, you know, to that question, it, it reminds me just a, a few days ago, I remember uh, uh, one of my colleagues quoting Nemo, the, the, uh, the movie uh, Finding Nemo. And it was, you know, when life gets you down, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. <laughs> and I think, you know, in reality, whether I acknowledge it before or not, that probably is always been sort of my mantra. One foot in step, one foot in front of the other. Keep going. Keep pushing. Don't settle. Keep fighting. So that of that sort of resilient nature is kind of how I uh, view my uh, life message.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important one because you're right. Uh, we all are faced with challenges, sometimes medical health challenges, sometimes financial or relationship. And yeah, if you, you know, I'm just thinking through it as you're sharing. If you push through, you know, you'll make it out the other end. So don't give up. And that's what might happen to some people, and they don't realize fulfill their dreams or or calling or whatever. And that's pretty good. I know that was really important to me. We're not going to get into it that much, although it's related to patient experience. But when I went through my own health journey with cancer, you know, that resiliency was, I think, one of the keys to uh, to success. And I'm sure you've seen that in your patients. You know, those who keep pushing through. So glad to have you and wanted to ask you to sort of share your story from how you got to where you are today. And so it can be a mix of personal, professional, however much you you want to share. But I think people be curious, you know, who is Vic? and how did he become
1: eventually the president of Summa Health Medical Group? Thank you for that question as well. So I'll start off with the personal because what I'll say is if it wasn't for the personal life, there would be no professional life for Vic Bala. And so I'm lucky to have an amazing mom and dad, sister, beautiful wife, and uh, three loving children. They keep me grounded, they keep me uh, going. They're truly my everything. Growing up, I actually moved around a lot. My dad was a general manager for marketing for you know, many of the Fortune 500 companies out there. So between you know, transfers and layoffs and promotions and, and et cetera, the first school I uh, started and completed, finally, uh, was actually Kent State, Ohio, so, uh, where I went to uh, uh, college in Ohio when we moved here. And so I was able to uh, be part of the uh, Neo-UCOM program with Kent State. And so it did my, uh, uh, both my undergraduate training and my uh, uh, postgraduate training here in Northeast Ohio. And early on, I had uh, uh, rotations out at uh, Summa Health System. And it was just this organization that just had the, the culture, the workplace environment that really attracted me to it. And so I ended up doing my residency there back in 2006 and continued to uh, you know enjoy every minute of my residency. And actually, Cliff Devney, who's our current CEO Summa Health System, was you know in my role at that time and really started the medical group. And I was fortunate fortunate enough to be hired from him uh, by him. And I stayed on as one of our community family medicine physicians, you know, taking folk, uh, taking care of, of folks and patients in the uh, Akron, Ohio area. And then for me, I'm just never a guy who says no. And somebody asked me. Can you do this? Would you like to work on this? Can I get your help? It was always a yes, yes, yes. And that kind of led to, um, you know, positions on committees and chairing positions and being on search committees. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. And then there was an opening for our chief medical officer position back in October of 2018. And you know, applied, went through the process for that. It became our chief medical officer. And then you fast forward, you know, about another four years. And then uh, last year, while our president of the medical group at that time, Dr. Lydia Cook, who's another just inspirational leader, just like Dr. Devaney, was retiring at the end of the year. And so the role of president opened up. And, you know, it was the stars aligned just right. And I applied for that position and, and took over the role as, as the president of our medical group at the end of last year. And uh, here I am. That's a great story. And, and one thing I really pulled out of that, you know, I always like try
0: to pull out the leadership gems. And that's the sort of the yes, yes, yes. Right. Whenever opportunities were afforded to you. And I always tell people because they always ask for career advice. I'm like, volunteer for everything. Say yes to everything because it opens up doors And you learn from all those, right? As as you were going through your evolution, there, you learn from all your different stops.
1: Yeah, and and to kind of follow up on that point, you know, one of the other things, you know, maybe it's a mantra or, or, or not, but for me personally, it's not, you know, just important to do your job well. If you're a leader, if if you want to excel, if you want to move that envelope further, push that envelope further, it's not only doing my job well, but I've always done this, whether I was a primary care physician or, or whatever situation I was in, is look at what the person above you is doing. And can you take on 20% of that and help them out? And so that's also been a very, uh, you know, important piece of, you know, for me, leadership development and engagement and really uh, improving and uh, benefiting uh, an organization.
0: That's leadership gold right there. So this is this is great because we're hitting on you know one of the common top topics that we have here when it comes to digital transformation. It's really all about leadership at the end of the day. And that's another great one. And help, looking to your manager and seeing how you can help your manager in the 20%. I like that. So that's awesome. So what I want to turn to now is, is another area that I'm super excited about talking to you and on is patient experience. So I'm all about patient experience. Having been a patient myself and also in a leadership position in healthcare organizations, so I was curious you know when you presented to the board you know that's one of the first things you talked about you didn't talk about your financials you didn't talk about those or clinical outcomes although they were in the board presentation and very important but I think you started off with patient experience so what's the motivation behind the emphasis on patient experience
1: For me and for I think the industry is healthcare is changing this is no longer that paternalistic system of I'm the doctor you're going to do what I say this is a consumer industry and we in healthcare have to understand that Patients are consumers, they are customers, and we have to meet their needs. It's not our agenda. It's what's on the patient's agenda and meeting you know patients where they are. So it's important, it's a key uh, driver to the success of an organization is that patient experience aspect.
0: I just have to ask you, Vic, because what you just said is something that maybe someone in the vendor community might say, or marketing, people who are, you know, spend their career in sort of uh, consumerism, how did that come about? I mean, I'm in complete agreement with you, but I'm just really curious, how did you come to that conclusion?
1: I think personally, you know, for me, when it really came more from me in my clinical role, a patient comes in and yes, they want to talk to you as their family primary care physician about their medical issues, but they also will tell you about the struggle of, I tried calling. I went to a voicemail. Nobody called back. I was referred to a specialist, but I wasn't able to get in for three months and you weren't even aware of that. So I got to experience, even though I think we do a very good job in our health system, as that go-to person, as that patient advocate, as a family physician, I see and and know we do better. That's awesome. So just to
0: share now with our audience. You went in five years from, some people call it NPS, you know, the likelihood to recommend question. In 2017, the health group, the the um, medical group was 91.73% as a base in 2017. And in 2022, it's at 9422 which for those who don't follow that statistic, that is in the top, that's an elite category. So it's really an astonishing movement. Can you share with us some of the reasons how
1: you moved up there that quickly? So, yeah, it does seem, you know, it can seem fast. And then if you ask a guy like me, it seems slow, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's that, you know, keep pushing, keep swimming uh, mentality. But, you know, and that's one thing I probably as a leader probably need to do a better job of is celebrating wins. That's a very key component. But, you know, just inherently, I'm that guy who wants to keep driving. So, yeah, to your question, I, I mean, there was tremendous advancement in those five years, but part of it really started with, you know, it first being, you know, a message that you're sending to providers of about the importance of patient experience and getting buy-in. And, and, you know, you would mention it and then, you know, a year goes by and then you mention it again towards it becoming just a routine almost expectation of our medical group as this is a focused metric that we're gonna look at. This is something we're always gonna keep discussing. And you can't just say, hey, I want it 95%. You have to put processes in place. You have to ask the physicians, how do we get from 91 to 94? What do we need? What are the barriers? What are the challenges? How do we improve? And then part of it though too is you know, physicians inherently are want to win. They're competitive. They're driven. They want to be at the top of the class. And so using that mindset of the physician and what we ended up doing, you know, in recent years is truly just unblinding the data and just sharing it with the physicians, you know, just across the entire medical group. And so a little bit of it is the Hawthorne effect. When you know folks are watching this, that it's important that every meeting we talk about it, it drives the importance of not only it's an organizational necessity, but you get the buy-in from the providers of, wow, this really is important. We talk about it every single time we meet in these large groups. You know, this is something we really need to continue to improve on. So I really do think unblinding the data, sharing it with our physicians has really helped. I will immediately, every time the data goes out every quarter, I'll get some emails of, hey, can you, do some deeper dive on this? Can you see where the issues are? And there's a lot that goes into patient experience besides just the physician communication. It's how staff treats the patients, a multitude of things. And and one of the things we, we look at is, is trends. And you know one of the other aspects is the comments that we receive from patients. We literally have a team of folks that read through every single comment that comes through through our doors that's
0: awesome all the different things that you just described because i know a lot of organizations might do two or three of those but you're hitting on you know five or six key components are those similar to the key drivers that your providers focus on or is that something different because i know that you talked about sort of these
1: three key drivers like most organizations you'll have you know 30 questions on a survey. But what, when you do a deep dive in the analysis, at least within our medical group, the three key drivers that we see to me are quite simple. And, and that's, I think, part of patient experiences. There's a lot of groups and organizations trying to tackle 50 different things. You gotta, you can't boil the ocean. You gotta focus on the key drivers. And the key drivers from my standpoint are three simple things, listening, respect and explaining the healthcare in a way the patient understands. And so we focus on that. That's really our message to our providers, to our team members, our staff, even out and open to the patients. We have you know posters set up in waiting rooms, exam rooms, that we will focus on these three key areas during your visit. And I, I don't know about you, Ed, but if you've ever been in a disagreement with something and then, and then you reflect back on it, I always think it still comes down to those three key factors. If you've ever had a disagreement with your yeah. wife or your, your spouse, Were they listened to? Were you listened to? Was there respect? Was there explanation? And anytime there's a different disagreement, it comes down to me to those three things. More so than did the doctor spend enough time with you? Was this form done? Was that form done? That's all important. And I'm not trying to say those aspects are not important, but that when it comes to communication, the three drivers of communication, whether it's healthcare or it's a, it's discussions with your spouse. It's listening, it's respect, and it's explaining.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I have seen the poster, and I think that's another great hack you do. And a hack is, I was hesitant at first to use that word, but it's a pretty common word. It's not like a negative word at all, but it's like a tip. Yep. Kind of like a modern way of saying, hey, here's a good tip for you or best practice. But having that poster out in front. So it puts everyone in the same understanding. So it puts a little bit of, you know, a great reminder for the clinic, clinical staff. And it's a great tool for the, the patients. And they see that and understand that. And so everyone's on the same, has the same level of expectation. So I, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant move that you would do that. Now, there's got to be times where as great as SUMA, you know, the physician group is, there's got to be times that there's an outlier, And, uh, but I want to talk about outliers from, from two angles, actually. What do you do? Let's take the, the downside outliers. So what do you do when you have a clinician that maybe isn't performing the standard is like maybe a standard deviation away from that 94%? how do you handle
1: that? Yeah, so that's the great thing about the data from that standpoint is when we have those outliers, you know, myself, our chief medical officer, our chairman of the the departments, we meet with providers and and, and go over that data with them. This is not meant to be a punitive measure. And, you know, one question, you know, I'm sure other healthcare organizations are going to say or ask is, oh, you must have tied compensation with this, or you must be firing physicians who don't know. No. No, no compensation. No, nope, no, no HR issues. It's literally a hey, how do we improve this? What's working? What's not working? And guess what? There are multiple personalities in any medical group. And am I going to be able to take somebody who's at like a fifth percentile and make them a 90th percentile? Maybe not, probably not. But can I get a fifth percentile provider to get to the 50th percentile? That's a possibility and that's a win. And that doesn't mean we're not going to keep trying to strive for perfection, but we will take, uh, you know, we, we have to work with all the improvements and can, and have that continuous feedback with our providers. But, you know, I, like I said, a big question typically is, you know, because I've seen other organizations tie it to to finance in terms of compensation, either upside or downside risk to the provider, and we, we don't do that.
0: I love that. that that's so great. What about the clinician that's way outperforming everyone else, although it's hard already at 94%, but certainly there's got to be a standard deviation higher that some people do. What what do you do about them? Do you highlight them or celebrate them?
1: We do. And I think, you know, they get celebrated, you know, when that, when that sort of a uh, dashboard comes out and providers see each other's data, I, I, that's a win. You know, they, it's a little notch in their belt from that standpoint. And, and uh, we do uh, try to celebrate the wins of, of those individuals, but it's not only just about celebrating it's, Hey, I've got two providers. One's at 94 percentile and one's at 85%. You know, can my, physician be a leader and a mentor to those in the office and talk about what they do to you know improve and to get those results. So part of it is is really, you know, we pride ourselves in being a physician-led organization. And so I, I really do have asked uh, our providers, you know, that are excelling to to help their partners if there's room for improvement. So
0: one of the things that I remember you talking about is the things that are outside of your direct control. So it is true, right, that when someone fills out the survey, it may have been a, a beautiful patient experience from everything that you can control, Vic, but you can't control the traffic or maybe they stopped at somewhere along the way to get coffee and they spilled it on themselves. Or the one thing you said, which really struck me, which is uh, actually more in, in the control, but I'm just curious how you you know think about all these things. But I think the one example you were giving, too, was, you know, what matters, too, is how The front desk, maybe, you know, how you sometimes have glass enclosures between the front desk and the patient and how you open or close that screen. Uh, All these little details matter. So, but on the ones that you can't really control, I mean, how do you think about those things and their impact on patient experience?
1: I think it comes down to empathy, right? You know, we've all seen that flustered patient, you know, they're trying to make sure that they're getting to the appointment office on time. And then I push on providers saying, what is on time you know there's you know, there's only two seasons in ohio there's there's winter and construction right so both of those things will inherently lead to being a minute here late, or a few minutes here late you know and empathizing with the patient understanding that you know when that patient wakes up you're the biggest deal for that patient in the day when you think about it from the provider side we do it all day long you know we see patient after patient after patient. So it's very routine for us. But I think most of us, when we are on the patient side of things, we've talked to twelve family members, how my doctor's appointment's coming, and then after the doctor's appointment, those family members are gonna call us and say, how how did everything go? Seeing a doctor, seeing your provider is a big deal. And that empathy to the patient of, you know, I'm sorry, Mrs. Smith. Yeah, you know, I see you spilled your coffee. Can I get you a napkin? Can I get you a towel? Just relax, breathe. I'm here for you. I'm right here. So yeah, it's it's. I think it's not only empathy. I think it's perspective. You know, I, I've said it to physicians. I'll keep saying it. it there's not one patient that we're going to see typically in our day who wouldn't want to switch lives with us. So we have to remember that difference in the dynamic. You know, it's it's much better and fun to be in that roly chair instead of on the patient exam table.
0: Yeah, profound. This is so good. The last question I have, you know, directly sort of on this topic is how do you deal with the gaps? So you, I know because I could tell already, knowing you before, but definitely after you've explained everything today, is uh, you'd want to get to that 100% and you're at 94. And so what are the gaps left? Where you could, you know, try to close them. What do you think about? There's
1: a, definitely a few. Um, one you had kind of mentioned is it's not. I think our focus has really been on the provider level for these five years. But healthcare is a team sport, you know, and that's one thing that's changing now and has changed more so than before. It's not just the doctor running the show. You've got your advanced practice providers. You've got your team members. You've got social workers. So it's that same effort that we've put in for physicians to broaden it to all care team members, to the front desk staff, having that smile when the patient's there, not having a doorbell of ding the doorbell or we'll be right with you. So we have to instill those same values to everyone across our team. So that's one gap there. And I think the second piece, you know, really is access and making sure that we have enough services, providers, appointment slots, times. We can't, you know, one thing i push on is we can't say i am a physician and i've got a pretty full panel and i can take some new patients and my new patient slot is tuesdays at 9am well is that patient centric so i can only see a new patient on tuesday at 9am i'm not sure that meets the what consumerism is for our patients you know and so we have to we have to change some of that that's really good stuff
0: the switch to virtual you know during The pandemic in particular, but virtual is here to stay. And I'm curious, and I imagine some of our listeners are as well, when it comes to some of those scores that we see in terms of patient experience, have you been able to see a difference between virtual and physical? Like, are virtual patients
1: more? satisfied than physical or vice versa i wish i had better data it's really more anecdotal we had the same survey going out whether it was a physical appointment versus a virtual appointment it's hard to really um you know have a clear understanding you know anecdotally i think in many situations Patients were very happy and relieved from that standpoint to have that virtual option. And then at the same time, you'll see the comments of, I would have preferred an inpatient visit. But it all, it was very commingled and mixed, especially during the COVID, in the heart of the COVID pandemic back in 2020 and 2021. What you're seeing now, I think, is more of not you have to do a virtual or not do a virtual. You have more of that choice, so to speak. And so that I think is a game changer and and is only gonna improve patient experience. You know, virtual works very well in some instances, but not everything. And I think for mental health, once a patient physician relationship has been established and it's a follow-up. I think that's a perfect opportunity for a virtual visit. You know, follow-ups of changing of medications, of dosings, uh, things along those lines lead itself to a virtual visit being um, appropriate or following up on labs or testing, things along those lines. But virtual is an extension of healthcare. It's not a replacement of healthcare. And to your point, it's not going away. And, And it's gonna sound weird, but COVID was actually in some ways the best thing that happened to healthcare. It really moved the needle, pushed the needle of really transforming healthcare and actually changing it more into that consumer-friendly way of delivering care and more opportunities to deliver care.
0: So, you know, we are digital voices. A lot of our audience are chief digital officers and other uh, interested parties, definitely in patient experience, what tools do you utilize today to help with patient experience? Like virtual care is one of them that, you, that you've already mentioned. Are there any other tools that you found particularly helpful? And what else would you like you know that maybe that you don't have today, but you think might be you know the next level to continue to enhance that experience?
1: I think virtual health really is a huge tool in the toolbox. And we have, we've only begun to uh, scratch the surface of it. And where I was alluding to is some visits are good for telehealth and, and some aren't. And I think that's where we can even close that gap. And the next step, and it's already happening, is the the literally tools of a toolbox for patients to have. Right. So mom calls with a four-year-old who's got ear pain. Very difficult on the provider side to say, I, okay, the kid's ear hurts, doesn't have a fever. I can't see in it, you know, that to me is probably not a good virtual visit in current state, but guess what? They go to Amazon and they got a $50 otoscope that they put in the kid's ear, sends me a digital picture and I can say, oh, Eardrum is red. It's bulging. There's loss of landmarks. And your child clearly has an inner ear infection. I'm going to send some uh, antibiotics to your pharmacy. So I think that's where the uh, uh, that next level is. And I think uh, you know a lot of organizations are going towards towards that. And you know blood pressure cuffs, stethoscopes that can transmit sound. So now I can hear your heart. I can hear your lungs. I can look in your ear. I can look in your throat remotely. I think that's really going to be a win from a patient experience standpoint. Because once again, imagine that mom with that four-year-old kid who's sick, and then she's also got a baby at home. And now we say, you can only come in at 9 a.m. for for that doctor's appointment on a Tuesday, right? So that's the next level of consumerism that we really have to drive to quickly. My last
0: question before I sort of leave an open-ended one for you. So I'm listening now, so I, I know because of the topic and because of who you are and your position, that we're also going to have a lot of clinicians listening to this particular episode, and they're going to be thinking about how do I replicate the success of Summa Health Medical Group? What would be one or two pieces of advice or hacks that you would say might be the first couple of steps that someone might take? So let's just say they're a leader of a physician group like yourself, Vic, and they want to move the needle on patient experience. What are a couple of things they could be doing?
1: So yeah, from a leader standpoint is identifying your early adapters identifying those physicians, those leaders in your organization that truly believe the vision and mission that you have or your organization has, round those folks up, empower them, actively listen to them, engage them in conversations of let's point out the problems. But if you were in that position or if you had a magic wand, what are the solutions? What are the options and solutions that you have? To drive whatever that is that you want to change, so I think it's really having a strong physician leadership, identifying the key players, the key stakeholders, those who have influence on their peers, to really uh, push uh, things forward for your organization. Yeah, that's good. So Vic, we
0: chatted, and we keep going, and you know I could go for a lot longer. So we might have to have you back someday. But we chatted a lot about. Bruce Springsteen uh, to begin with, and then, um, you know, sort of how we know each other in, in your role as a president of the physician group at Summa Health. And then a lot about sort of patient experience and, and the different things that you've done to enhance that experience and the, you know, remarkable movement from basically 91% to 94% over a short period of time, depending on how you uh, look at time. And then all the different things that you did to get Suma health there and then uh, a lot of about digital enablement some of the tools and, and things that you're doing tremendous amount on leadership it's just full of great wisdom for others to uh, seriously consider and adopt what did we miss or anything we did talk about, but you, you want to double down on?
1: I think maybe, you know, we hit it pretty hard, but I, I do want to double down on it. And it's something that's happening in Congress right now is what the telehealth laws are going to look like going down the road. And it's here to stay. What version of it is it going to be? We don't know. I think we have to be cognizant that not everybody knows how to use a smart device. Not everybody has access to a smart device. When is an audio-only call appropriate? At the same time, you know, for my providers, whether they're doing an audio call or it's a virtual visit or it's an in-person visit, that's time out of the day, that's experience, that's expertise, that's risk. To taking that they're taking on to make the patient better. So, you know, I I would push to really stick with a lot of the sort of deregulation that we've had and been able to sort of enjoy and tap into during the COVID pandemic. And hopefully it's here to stay. What I always tell, you know, uh, lobbyists and, and government officials is whether it's a pandemic today, it's gonna be a snowstorm in Northeast Ohio tomorrow. And we got to experience that in January and February this year with two feet of snow. And is it really appropriate to have somebody out on the roads rushing to their appointment in two feet of snow when we can switch to virtual? And whether it's snow, whether it's hurricanes, whether it's other natural disasters, we have to have this capability of telehealth.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, we need reimbursement parity yep. along all those modalities. And yeah, we should take action like, like you do. And. And others within our organization and lobbying within, you know, our professional societies and making sure that the government understands, you know, the, the reasons why. And like you so well articulated, and it's just better for everybody. We just got to move forward. So, you know, some of the reasons we haven't. Moved as fast as we want to from a digital perspective in healthcare has been regulations that were from 30, 40 years ago before we had modern technology and that we need to adapt those. So that's a great way to end. Vic, you're an inspiration to me. And I know um, now you'll be an inspiration to many others. What you're doing is amazing. The leadership things that you dropped during this podcast, just really great. I'd love also to double down and dig into those a little bit more and how you came to those. Conclusions, because that's always interesting as well. But we thank you for your time and again, your leadership and the fact that you help patients and you have such a caring heart. So thank you for being
1: our guest. Thank you so much, Ed. Thank you for everybody.
0: All right, that wraps up Digital Voices and we'll talk to you at the next drop. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.